Welcome to Fascinating Truth, where godly men suit up for the front lines of the battlefield. I'm your host, David Miles. You ready? Here we go. All right, welcome back, guys. So good to have you back on Fascinating Truth with us this week. Last week, we discussed a very important question, simplistic but important, what is prayer? Now, the answer sounds obvious, but as we discussed, when you really begin to look at it, most of us have an inappropriate and incomplete understanding of prayer. We discussed that as children growing up in church, you're told it's just talking to God. Many adults are told that at conversion as well. We really, as we began to read through scripture, we decided and we saw that this is not the full picture. God is always portrayed in prayer as being the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And as such, we are required to give him the reverence and the honor that he is due. We see in the Old Testament examples that only one person was allowed to enter into his presence once a year after meeting all of the requirements or he was a dead man. So we understand that entering into God's presence is no joke. Beyond being just a king, he is supremely and perfectly holy, which cannot tolerate and must kill any sin that tries to enter into his presence. He cannot be blemished. He cannot be stained by our sin. However, God did not leave us abandoned to the doom of not being able to enter into his presence as he desired that. He made a way through his son, Jesus. This was why he came to earth, to not just cleanse us of our sins, to make us feel better. The whole point was to give us entrance, to be able to be with him, to be reclaimed and restored to what was lost in the Garden of Eden. That's what we talked about last week. Just wanted to do a summary. I know we don't normally do summaries, but in this case, I thought it would be important because we are going to the second question, the next logical step in the question. Now, I say it's the next logical step, all right? Many of you may have never even asked what prayer was. It was just assumed you were told to do it. You did it. You figured out it was talking to God, but you never fully really stopped to think about it. So if you haven't dealt with it any, hopefully after last week's discussion and kind of beginning to think about prayer, you've begun to ask why it's so important. That's our next question. And the question, the reason this is important for us to ask, we're going to get to in just a second, but we need to understand why this is the next logical step. Why would we want to know this? Why would somebody ask this question? Well, to be honest, the Bible is what creates this question for us. All right. So now if we were dealing with any one of the man-made gods, or if you were talking about a king or an official or someone in that regard, that it makes sense that you may request audience with the king. You need to ask him for something. You need to talk to him about something. You'll go in reverently. You understand his high and mighty status, but he's unaware of what's going on and the situation that you're going to present to him because he is human. This is obviously different because now we're talking about God and the Bible teaches us about God and about his all-knowing nature. This is what creates this dilemma and this question, as we'll see in a second. I'm going to read a couple of verses to you real quick. You can just jot these down and read them later. This is uh, Job 42.2. He states, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. In Ephesians 1.11, 
He makes everything work out according to his plan. And then in Psalm 139, 1 through 4, it says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit, sit down or stand up, my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. So this is where the next question comes up. And the question is, if God already knows what I'm going to pray, if he is sovereign over everything, if his will is going to be accomplished no matter what, then why on earth do I need to pray? All right. You may have asked this as a kid. It's usually written off. It's usually told it's just something that you do. There's, it's really never explained. This question was never explained to me. Really, it took time of digging in myself, which is honestly a great way to learn and what I encourage all of you to do. Anytime you're confronted with something you don't know the answer to, research it, look into it. Find not only scripture, that should be your primary point, but find reliable, sound commentaries or Bible studies, things of that nature that can help you along this trail. All right, so that's the, what we're going to be asking, what we're looking at today, because this is an important question to ask. And I always tell everybody, you should always ask questions, and you should always think things all the way through. God gave you that thing between your ears, all right? He didn't create your skull empty. He gave you your brain. He gave you your intellect. He gave you all of this for a reason. You are not supposed to turn this off to be a good Christian, all right? No question is off limits. That's the other problem we see in church sometimes is that someone has a question and when we don't really know the answer, we tell them they really shouldn't be asking questions. We just tend to write it off. And here's the, the, what you'll typically hear, and you've probably heard this before, is that you just need to have faith. And then somebody will tell you, remember, we walk by faith and not by sight, which I'm just going to go ahead and tell you is a completely misapplied scripture in that environment. This is talking about how if God promises me he's going to give me something and I can't see it with my eyes as being done yet, I trust him. That is the definition of faith. But when we're asking questions about God, we want to know his character and know more about him. Scripture is very clear that knowing God is actually part of what transforms us and what creates us to be who we're supposed to be. It's part of our godly pursuit. So there is no wrong question. And we're going to look now at this question. Why do I need to pray and ask God for things when he already knows what I'm going to pray and it doesn't matter, he's going to make sure his will happens whether or not I ask, okay? So this is just a logical question that we're asking today. God knows infinitely more than I do. He knows absolutely everything. So why do I need to ask him? Am I telling him something he doesn't know? Well, of course not. Am I persuading God to do something? God is not going to be, he's not going to be dictated to. We are not going to determine what God does or does not do. That is obviously nonsense. So does it force him to do something? No, he's not a genie, okay? We don't get wishes. That's not how this thing works. He is God and he is the one that's in charge. So the question then comes, well, why do I need to pray? Why is it so important that God would tell me at various points in Scripture that I need to pray without ceasing, I need to pray at all times and about all things, I need to spend time in prayer, I need to come before Him daily? There's so many things, and, and really if you look at the essence of Scripture, as we'll get to, it basically tells you you need to live in prayer. You need to live in His presence. So what is the point about this? What are we doing? Okay? Well, really, 
as we begin to ask this question, we ask the question amiss. We ask it wrong because we are following a set of logic. Now, what is the logic we're following? Okay, prayer is where I go to God and where I tell him about my needs. I ask him, I may praise him, I may thank him. But then we think, well, he doesn't even need my praise. I mean, does he need my praise? Well, of course, it's not like God lives. There are a lot of ancient civilizations and ancient pagan um, ideas and religions that believe that without the sufficient praise, the gods would die. Okay, Obviously, our God is self-sufficient. That has nothing to do with it. So he doesn't need all that. So what? That's the we're really asking the wrong question. Oh, we need to ask why it's important, but we're coming at it from an idea of, seeing prayer the way most of the Western church sees prayer. We see prayer as a time when we ask God for what we need. We ask God to take care of this. We ask God to deliver us from this, to heal us of this. We see God, that is our time to ask God to do things. And since we can't inform him or persuade him or force him, it does not make any sense. However, if we stop and think back about, again, what we learned last week, what prayer is, it begins to change the question a little bit. Why? Because when we said, why is it important that I pray? When we think of that, we think, why is it important that I ask God for all this stuff? He knows what I need. Ah, that's not the definition of prayer. When it says that we must pray, remember, it's an audience with the king. So now we're changing the question up and saying, why is it important that I spend time in God's presence? Why is it important that I am in front of him at his feet in his courts. Why is that important? Well, first of all, the question almost sounds like nonsense when you phrase it that way, understanding what prayer is. It just doesn't hardly even make sense anymore. But we need to see that and begin to think this through all the way. Okay. So obviously it makes sense that I should be in God's presence. Okay. It just makes sense. I mean, why would I not want to be around the King and the Creator when He wants me to be there? He wants to help me. But Let's not stop there, okay? That's not the answer to our question in its entirety. We want to say, well, now let's ask the question, why is it important that I have an audience with the king? Why is it important that I am before him and in his presence? So what is happening in prayer? That is going to be the answer to our question. So first of all, again, we are at his feet. We are before God and we are beholding him, okay? So prayer as we can see compared to what we've known it as, it's a whole lot less about what we are asking for and a whole lot more about who we are talking to and who we are with. That is what makes all the difference as we're looking at this and trying to answer this question. We are not supposed to waste our opportunity standing before the supreme ruler of the universe, blabbering our mouths and talking all about us and our wants and our needs. Because again, if this were a regular king, if this were anybody else besides the merciful God and the blood of Jesus, you would, it would not be tolerated and you'd be a dead man. Plain and simple. But God is wanting us to pray at all times. Well, let's think through this a little bit. Why would he want us to do that? Could it be that he wants us to pray all the time and about everything because he wants us to be in his presence as often as possible. Or perhaps he wants us to make wise decisions. Maybe he wants to teach us something and we have to be there with him in order to learn it. Or perhaps hanging out with God will help to change us and make us better. 
and maybe even humbling ourselves and being reverent and respectful is good for us, okay? Now, I do want to make clear at this point that God does ask us to make our requests known to Him. He knows about them, but He wants us to ask anyway. Now, again, we're trying to think all this through. So that may even seem a little odd. Why would he want us to do that? Because it's not informing him. It's just, and it's talk, it's, we're not talking him into it. But let's think about this for a second. If you were going to a king, the king is not going to come to you, okay? You are going to have to come before the king. Now, he may know all about it, but the order and the process is that you would come and make your petition. Part of this is the humility and the reverence of presenting this before the king. Okay, he is not going to override. He could force, but in a lot of cases, it's important that you understand where it's coming from, that the king has chosen to do something for you that he is not obligated to do. So that is very important that we understand that. Okay, now another thing to think about is that God is not just our king. He is also our father. Okay, many of you guys listening to me are dads of that. I'm sure that you are fathers. And as an engaged father who spends any amount of time with your kids and cares about them, you know your kids, all right? Many times you have a much better grasp on what they want and need than even they do, all right? So there's a lot of times that they don't have to ask you for stuff. I know know for me, I've had times the other day the kids were doing something in the back seat. And um, of course, as a dad, it's my job to mess with them. So I remember joking what they didn't, they began joking because my daughter had said, do you know what, you know, what she was talking about my son, do you know what he just did? And I said, yeah, he just did this, this, and this. And they, they were just, I could see in the rearview mirror, they were jaw dropped. Well, how did he know all of that? And they, my daughter even asked, now my, you know, they're, they're nine and seven. And my daughter is, she's, she's my little lawyer. So she began to say, okay, well, d- well, daddy, how did you know? It's like, well, it's because I have eyes in the back of my head, you know, and I had, and I had, uh, before I told them, I'd actually pulled my ball cap up a little bit so to expose the eyes. I said, yeah, I can see it. Well, my son bought it hook, line, and sinker. He's only seven. He's uh, He knew something's up, obviously, but he's still at the point where he'll just go with the imagination. And my daughter's sitting there quizzing me like, no, that's obviously baloney. What did you? Well, the truth is what had happened is, is that as a father, I'm paying attention all the time. They had made comments and been discussing all that they were doing for for probably 10 minutes beforehand. And so what happened next that they were referencing was just an obvious, I think he'd spilled something on the seat. It was an obvious, it was obviously going to happen. And I knew that. And as a father, I didn't need them to tell me anything. I already knew what happened in the car. But they had no idea how I could know that. So you as a father, you're tuned in you know what's going on with your kids. Now, obviously, as we scale this up a little bit, that does change the dynamic a little bit um, with, with God. But at the same time, he is a father, okay? You don't, your kids don't really have to ask you for stuff. You know what they want. You know what they're looking for. You know what they would like. I mean, that's the whole point of birthdays and Christmas. You're surprising them a lot of times. Now, sometimes they ask you for something specific. Other times, you don't even really care what they asked for. You're getting what you know they're going to love because you're a good father, because you know all of that. Now, that's fun with those presents, all right? That's a separate thing. That's a surprise. But if they have a need for something and you know they need it, there is something special about when your child comes to you 
and asks. Because not only is it special for you in that moment, but there's something, you don't give your kids just everything they need. You don't just cater and just automatically supply all their needs because there's something healthy about admitting you need help and coming and asking. It's a part that we have to teach our kids to know that the world doesn't just give you what you need. You have to find a way to make it happen. And when you need help, your dad is the one you can go to. We do this in part, not just to create you know, good, solid members of society, but we do it so that our kids can also begin to learn how things work with God. So God does the same thing with us, all right? He does that for us in the same way. So putting all this information together, as it turns out, God does not need you to pray. All right, now, I do want to spend a second there. Um, this bothers me. I hear this proclaimed in churches. I hear this, and it's, it's a motivational tactic. I understand the thought process and the intent behind it, but it's wrong. Okay, God does not need you to pray. He doesn't even need you to obey. The idea there, and people will do this, they'll say, if you don't do this, God has set it up to where only you can do this. And if you don't do it, it will never happen because God has chosen you and only you can do this. Okay, first of all, I understand the thought process and there's some validity to it, okay? God will choose to do certain things and he may assign them to you. And then if you don't do them, they may not happen. Okay, that may just be the way God decided to do it, okay? And he will hold you responsible. He will hold us responsible for whatever we don't do that we were given by him very clearly to do. And we knew we needed to do it and we didn't do it, all right? That's a clear thing. We know that's going to happen. But the implication of the way that is phrased is that God needs you. No, no, God can do anything and everything. He made a donkey talk to a false prophet to get his attention because he would not obey. All right. So God and he, as we just read, God is going to do whatever he wants to do and his will is going to be accomplished. You can't stop it. If that were the case, I mean, look, look at the story of Jonah. All right. Jonah got swallowed by a fish, puked up on a beach, still didn't want to do it. But God was very intent on making it happen. You know, God, only God knows. I can't go back and say what would have happened if Jonah had not obeyed. Uh, Sound like he would have died because the ship would have gone down. But God would have made it happen. And that's how God is. He's going to make it happen. So if he's intent and someone is going to be saved, someone is going to be rescued, he's going to do something, it's going to happen. He doesn't need you for anything. So I just want to get that out of the way. I want to clear that up. There Now you, as far as you are concerned, God has given that to you to do and you will bear the full consequence of not obeying. All right. And if somebody ends up going to hell because God had just so decided that he gave that task to you, you understand that we're going to, they're getting into a little bit deeper thing. And that's what we consider the inner counsel of God. It's something only God really knows the answers to. The point is, is that if God is dead set on doing something, he's going to do, he doesn't need you. But there at the same time, he also does as sovereign Lord delegate certain things to us that we do in fact have to do. We are responsible for, and we'll have to answer for if we don't do them. Okay. But as we're looking at all this and as we're looking at what prayer is and why it's important, turns out God doesn't need you to pray. You need you to pray. That's actually what we're gaining from all of this. Prayer is about you, not about him. But hear me out on that. The importance of prayer is for you. Okay. 
God doesn't need you to pray. It's not linchpin. It's not critical. He can do whatever he needs to do without you. All right. I'm sorry. Hate to burst a bubble. You're just not that important. But you were important enough for him to send his son to die on the cross to redeem you and give you access to his presence. So don't hear me out here. You're not worthless, but you're not the, you're not the limiting factor in what God wants to do. But he, you need you to pray. So the focus of prayer is God. The person that it's important and that it helps and changes is you. Okay? God does it that way. You don't pray. You don't pray for God. You pray to God. The prayer is for you. You understand? It's to help you out there. Because what happens is, is that, and let's be completely honest, it's that coming before the Almighty God in reverence, in respect, and even in humility when we do this, it begins to cause a shift. There's a shift in each and every single one of us when we begin to do that because we have to come down. We have to get outside of ourselves. We are no longer the focus. We are not the most important thing going on. As they say in Spanish, we're not the last Coca-Cola in the desert. We are not the big deal anymore. God is. And when we do that, there's something very humbling but also very healthy and important that happens. Because then you begin to shift your focus. You begin to think about God. He becomes bigger. He becomes more important and exalted. And this change in your focus helps you to remember who he is. It helps you to trust him. It helps you to begin to remember who he is, what he's promised, what he's done. Because let's be honest, the way this world is set and the way the enemy attacks, the whole point is to forget about God. The whole point is to forget that he's real, forget that he exists. And so when we get into prayer and begin to really get into true prayer, we remember him. We begin to treat him like God and we begin to live like he's real because we've been in his presence. He's not this far off fairy tale. I just spoke with him. He is real. He, I was in his presence. I have been, I felt it. I am changed and I know who he is. And that's what it does is it really turns us and it focuses us. Now, so that helps us understand why prayer is important. Okay. That we are, we're spending time in God's presence. That is something, and it's to help us. It changes our focus. It does these kind of things, but Let's get down to the nitty gritty. What are the primary, most important reasons that we need to pray? What is it boiled down to? Yes, time in his presence, all that stuff. What does it come down to? And there's really three primary benefits. I'm going to call them that. It's also the purpose and the, the need. But at the same time, it's, it's for our good. So the three main reasons that prayer is so important to us and why we need to pray is that it positions you. It molds you and it empowers you. Let me get into those. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. They're pretty self-explanatory. When you pray, it positions you to receive what God already wants to give you. Again, you're not convincing him. You're not talking him into anything, but it gets you into a position where God can now begin to work in your life. He can begin to give you. He can begin to do because now your focus is on him, not on yourself. If God gives you a million dollars and you are so full of yourself, Focus on everything you want. You are going to blow that and destroy your life with it. I guarantee it. That's what you're going to do. You're going to destroy your life with the money. We may have to go with a bigger dollar amount, but you get my point. Even that, you destroy yourself. That or you completely burn the money up and all the blessing and all the benefit will be gone immediately. But if you're focused on God and you're living after him, then all of a sudden when that money comes, 
You're going to recognize it's from him. You're going to realize it's not really yours, it's his. And you're going to be very wise in how you use and understanding. You have to give an account for what you do with every penny of that amount. And when you do that, all of a sudden now your spending is now divinely guided and it is wisely spent. And now it just shifts everything about you because you are in that correct position with him. And again, it positions us with God correctly because let's remember, kings don't go to you, you come to them. Okay? Second thing, prayer is when God molds us to be more like Christ. As we spend time in his presence, we are changed, we are transformed. We'll get into that a little bit more here in a minute. But remember, kings don't change how they are, you change how you are. And spending time in God's presence, he helps you to get to that point and to be who you need to be. And the last thing is prayer empowers us to do what he has purposed for us to do. See, God's got a plan. He's got something he wants you to do. And it's that spending time in his presence and being with God that empowers you. Because remember, only a king can bestow authority and power on you. No one else in the kingdom has the right to make you their emissary, to be their ambassador. Only the king can grant that level of authority and actually give you the power of the kingdom and of its armies. Only God, only the king can do that. And God is our king. All right. So really, when we ask this question, it boils down to one thing. How do you, two things, how do you see prayer and how do you see God? If you know what prayer is, you understand its importance and you know who God is and you understand who he is, then prayer is really just getting you to turn your eyes back and stare on him and remember what you know and learn more about him in the process. Okay. So I'm going to, let's actually look at a couple of examples. I want to help drive this point home. We're wrapping this thing up now just a little bit longer. And um, so I just we're going to look at Matthew 6 really quickly as some examples of what prayer can look like versus what it's supposed to be. All right. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. It says this. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. When your Father, who sees everything, when you do that, He will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask. So again, we get that that last part there. We see it's another one of the scriptures that points out God already knows. But that's not the focus of God's. God's point here is not, again, he's telling us to pray. He brings that up. So he says, you don't need to say it over and over again just to repeat it. That's not the point. You're not trying to drive a hole in heaven. He's like, he already knows. So it's not about the multitude of words. You're not having to work for it. He already knows. So again, even in this verse, we see where God is pointing out that prayer is not like we think it is. Prayer is time with him. All right, but let's look at some of our examples of the way it was done incorrectly. The hypocrite prays for spiritual recognition and fame. Now, when I say that, he prays, but he does it for spiritual recognition and fame. He's not asking God for those things. In fact, he's not even talking to God. He doesn't care about God or he doesn't care what prayer actually is supposed to be. This is just something to make him famous and spiritually superior to all those around him. They want to hear his eloquent words. They want to see that he prays. He's just making and puffing himself up as a spiritual somebody 
But what actually ends up happening, as Jesus points out very clearly during his ministry, that ends up being and bringing judgment on them. It condemns them and brings judgment on them when they do that. So do not be the hypocrite when you pray. It also lists the Gentile. See, now the Gentiles, they didn't even know God, so they prayed to made-up ones. All right, That's what pagan is. They made up gods. They prayed to them. And as we saw with the Elijah on the Mount, on Mount Carmel, on Mount Carmel, looking at the, sorry, I guess I'm thinking about some dessert there. On Mount Carmel, he's up there with the prophets of Baal, all right? And they are cutting themselves, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, praying the same prayers, chanting their chants. And of course, Elijah starts making fun of them, which is really hilarious. You read the story, really try to read it and get out of the, I'm reading, you know, out of the Bible repetitiveness and just read the story. It's, it's pretty hilarious when you look at all this stuff and how Elijah is just taunting them. But the point is, is that they believe that if they had to try harder and harder to make something happen, not only are they praying to the wrong God, but that doesn't work with God. Because you're not convincing him, you're not forcing him. So this multitude of words, doing it over and over again, harder and harder, that doesn't do anything because all you're trying to do is get into his presence and he's going to do what he wants to do and help you to conform to that. It's not like that. He wants you to ask, but you have no play in there other than coming before the king. The king is who does everything. And that's part of the reason he condemns this and says, that doesn't work. God already knows what you need. You're not informing him. He doesn't need you to push him. He gets it. All right. So these are some of our examples we've seen in scripture. So we're just going to kind of let's to wrap this completely up. We're going to bring it all home and make it extra, extra personal right now. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question. I want to need you to think about it. That's how we're going to finish this out. So I'm going to ask you right now, why do you pray? What do you do? Why do you pray? Okay. Why do you get on your knees, whether it's literally or figuratively, why do you pray? All right. And what does your prayer life look like? Now, normally when you hear that, it's like, oh, how many hours do you spend? And do you pray for, you know, everybody and their neighbor? Now, I'm not, I didn't ask that because see, this isn't a game. It's not a competition and holiness is not earned. It's not a point system. It's not measured in hours. I'm asking you, how do you pray? Why do you pray? What is your motivation? Why do you do it? What are you doing when you do it? Okay. Because now we've already talked about what prayer is and why we do it. So how did you stack up to that? Okay. How do you pray in comparison and now knowing what you know? Okay. And what needs to change about the way that you pray? Do you see now why God calls it important? Do you understand why and how you could potentially pray at all times? Guys, this is just another step towards becoming the man that God has called you to be. This is critical. Now, everything we've been covering, guys, again, as stated in our pilot episode, as stated from the beginning, as stated for the mission statement of Fastening Truth, the whole point of this is to equip us, the men, to be ready to go out and to be on the front lines of the battlefield, defending our families, defending our you know, fighting for the kingdom, defending our families and defending our communities and churches to be out there in spiritual warfare and helping us. But see, that's the thing. Spiritual warfare is not just wielding a sword and slashing demons. Okay. There is many of this that's just stepping up and bringing your house into order, getting your life into order, getting your walk with God in order, getting things lined up and balanced so that God can really flow. Because again, it's all about him. 
This podcast is not about pumping you up. It's about making a lot about him and helping you know how you can tap into all the stuff that God wants you to have. And when I say that, I'm not talking prosperity. We're not talking about that. He may give you resources. I'm talking about how the condition of your soul, the condition of your heart and your mind, getting all that lined up. That is our goal. So this is another step towards that. Okay. And as we said, you need to spend time in God's presence. That is how you are changed and transformed. I'm just going to read it quickly. I know you know this first, Romans 12, 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So as you spend time in his presence, and by being in his presence, I'm talking about reading, study, also communion and listening. So see, prayer is not just sitting there on your knees, asking God for stuff. There is an aspect of that where you just spend time or you live in his presence. Your reading and studying should be done in a prayerful way where God is openly connected with you so that he can continue to teach you and talk to you while you're reading so it's not mindless. None of this should be mindless. We should all be conscious of who we're talking to and that he is real. Okay, God is going to transform. As you spend time in his presence, he's going to transform the way you think, the way you act, and the way that you see the world around you. This is the power of God's presence. That's that empowering part we were talking about. So now just imagine if you can get to the point where you can live in that presence. That is God's end game. That is the goal is to have you live in his courts. You've been adopted. You're part of the royal family. Move in. Live there. Okay. That is what prayer is. That is what it's going to do for you. That is what it needs to be. All right. It's an audience with the king and we do it for us. We do it because it positions us, it molds us, and it empowers us. All righty. That's all for today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next week. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Fastening Truth. Don't forget to subscribe. And remember, many are called, but few are chosen. We'll see you next time.